Hey y'all, Pastor Amel here with another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is sweeter. I don't have any ice cream. It's too stinking early for that, but I do have some Earl Grey tea here with uh, a ton of honey, mm. and honey's pretty sweet. Mm, it is. Did you sweeten uh, anything uh, up over there? Yeah, just... I got some breakfast blend here. Breakfast blend. Yeah. All right, and uh, we're just happy to be back. That's right. right? It's good to be here. It's like a thousand degrees outside, so maybe we should have done the ice cream, <laughs> milkshakes, or something like that. Yep, 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 yep. It's uh, it's pretty hot down here in the Gulf Coast, but that is okay. That just means we are glad to be inside with air conditioning. We are blessed and uh, blessed to be back in the podcast studio. It feels like it's been forever. Yep, uh, we were uh, going through sort of the basics of the Christian faith, and we've had little. You know, spells like this where we kind of get away from it and then we get back to it, we get away from it, we get back to it. But uh, we can just only tolerate so much of each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind I of guess. a small room for two of us. So. I've been meaning to say that to you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are. We're back and we are moving on from the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. We're moving on to the Apostles' Creed. And we're not even uh, entirely sure exactly what we're going to cover today, other than that, obviously, it'll have something to do with the Apostles' Creed, but maybe just sort of an introduction to the Creed. Mm. There aren't a whole lot of people that use this in the area that we're in, maybe, but there are billions and billions of Christians around the world and throughout history that have relied on this as sort of a... You know, this is the – if you boil down the faith, yeah, this is the faith. Well, it's it, it's interesting to me how – and you mentioned that there's – you know, where we are, there's not a lot of people who, who use this um, not just as a, as a religious identifier, but in their day-to-day lives in, mm. in any way. Um, but in a way – it is the foundation for a lot of those Christians, and they just they're not aware of it. You know, it's funny we were, you know, talking about this, and and I remember a handful of years ago, I looked up the website of a church. I think it was here in Louisiana somewhere. I think there was an event that some of my folks were going to there, and I just got curious about the church, and so I go to their website, and there was that you know about us or who what are we believe, we, yeah, yeah, what we believe. And I clicked on that, and there was this long paragraph explaining what they believe. And it was the creed just rewritten in different language. Yeah. And I just remember laughing when I saw it because, I mean, man, talk about reinventing the wheel. <laughs> you know? Um, you've got this, this, this perfect statement here that really does an excellent job of outlining, you know, what we believe, what we can expect from God, how God identifies himself to us through his word, and how it's all expressed. And, you know, it's a it's a wonderful tool yeah. know, to have at our disposal. Well, and, you know, we, uh, we often have this idea that newer is better. Mm. But I think the reality is, is more often than not, actually older is better in a lot of, a lot of ways, particularly when you're thinking about something like a religious faith, uh, you know, like the things particularly about Christianity that are closer to the actual events 
and the people who witness the events, which is something actually I think is uh, that you see with the creed, is that the creed is grounded in history. Sure. It's grounded in events that lots of people witnessed. It's not some person that went off into the woods and had some divine encounter and then came and told everybody what God told them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, God showed up and made sure everybody saw it. So there wasn't some crazy person who just had this special wisdom, you know. Right. Uh, but but this goes back. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not an expert on this. But I think I've heard as far back as like 75 A.D., possibly earlier. This is an early uh, statement of faith for new Christians, for new baptismal candidates. Yeah. I, I, I actually did some research on this a while back about the, uh, you know, we're talking, you know, uh, for, for those of you who are listening who, who have some notion of what we're talking about, we are talking about the Apostles' Creed. You know, there are uh, a few of these things that have been around for a long time, you know, statements of faith. Um, this is one that um, most people believe has been around the longest its origin is not 100% known. It mm-hmm. first shows up, or references to it, show up in epistles and letters that were passed around you know, between Christian communities. Um, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint the exact origin. You know? But um, one of the things that I find fascinating about it, and you mentioned how this statement of faith, you know, uh, how we can uh, compare it to let's say, other religions and philosophies and how they confess their beliefs. Um, How early, in fact, this showed up goes to show you how quickly the Christian community throughout the world became a body unified in thought. Mm. You know, our confession of what we believe and what we consequently don't believe was ironed out pretty quickly. And we have remained remarkably true to that. Yeah. You know, I think uh, one of the things I think it's good, uh, a good reason to study the creed, uh, especially for folks who aren't as familiar with it, one of the things it does is to help us realize how unified the Christian church is even today. You know, a lot of people like to point out, you know, how split and broken we all seem. You know, these people say this or do this and you know we have differences in in practice and application of what we believe but at the core identity of who our god is there is tremendous uniformity in thought and i think it does go back to the people who did this work and were guided by the spirit to to produce this confession yeah it's it's pretty rare that somebody says something that goes against this. It's true. Right. So yeah. like there there's Good it's point. rare that there's a new idea that doesn't line up with this somehow. Like it it's it's something else. It's yes. not it's not so much about God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ is only son our Lord, the Holy Spirit. It's not so much about that. It's all these other things that tend to divide us. That's true. And when something does come up that refutes this the words of the creed most christians hear it and instantly go that's nuts yeah you know those are usually that's like finally crossing the line yeah you know (laughs) that's true yeah all right now yeah now now maybe we're not 
yeah. unified, and maybe you're not part of this whole that's thing. That's true. Yeah. Although I will say that that's probably not how most people approach this. But, uh, Granted, a lot of people don't have a clue. The first clue about this thing, and uh, they do come up with a lot of reasons to not get. I mean, we're part of a church body that does that. I mean, we're so divided over so many things, and yet we're unified, I think, in this. Uh, so many other church bodies with us, we're separated, but in the end, is it about anything in here? I don't know. I mean, maybe, but not that I'm aware of. No, it's, it's uh, Yeah, at least the uh, the surface divisions are rarely get this far. And, and all the things that we want to cancel each other for, one side of Christianity, the other side of Christianity, mm. Christianity, outside Christianity, inside Christianity, uh, they don't they're, – they're not addressed in here. They're mm. not things that would divide us uh, in, in this particular way. Um, you know, I, so if we would take this more seriously, I think we would – do a better job of working well with others. Yeah. And I think God actually likes that idea. <laughs> you know, so when we debate on, you know, sacraments or not sacraments, uh, which sacraments, uh, how to do the sacraments, how to include in the sacraments, uh, uh, how to deal with, you know, some of the political things that are so, <laughs> unfortunately, such a huge part of Christian identity in America today. So unnecessarily so. So unnecessarily so, yeah. I think if we focused on these things, we would see that there's a lot of common ground and reason for us to kind of yeah. work together with, with people that we may disagree with on other things, but we, we're kind of grounded in this this thing. So, hmm. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think 75 A.D., was the earliest I've seen. Again, yeah, the origins are not exactly clear, but uh, if you got somebody who's about to be baptized or they've come to faith in Jesus and they want to be part of the Christian community, you know, you, you got to have something to tell them. That's okay, true. so what do I believe if I'm a Christian? Yeah. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? And this kind of answers that question. It does. And, um, you know, when I when I teach this, you know, to classes of any kind, usually to young people, um, I, I haven't I've, – I've done this with uh, adult classes before, and um, it's uh, – excuse me, I usually don't go into as much detail. But I like to really kind of help people get to the origins of why – this was created, why it was necessary, and why it could be necessary today. And one of the things, you know, we, we go through what, what it fixes, you know. And then, of course, one of those is, you know, when I become a Christian, you know, I, what does that mean? What, what do I believe? And it helps to clarify, to teach, and to give me an anchor to come back to. Um, also, one of the things that it did um, at, at the time, you know, in the earliest days of the church, you had – it was rare to have fixed congregations with a uh, somebody like you or me, you know, an established minister who, you know, was a resident there. Uh, you had so many traveling um, ministers and teachers that would show up and, 
you know, say, I would like to share God's word with you today. You know, okay, well, how do I know this isn't some nut job, you know, <laughs> off the street? You know, what do you believe? And the creed gave traveling teachers and preachers a way of identifying themselves as Christians of unified thought with the people that they were there to teach. You know? Yeah. And, you know, they do clarify more later on because of some of the crazies. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. But but this is kind of the the beginning, the building blocks. Yeah, it creates accountability. Yeah, yeah. there's a few things actually in. I, I think I got this out of the actual catechism or this version of it, mm. uh, the small catechism, Luther's small catechism with explanation, the latest from CPH Concordia Publishing House. And there was something in there about the order, you know. So I have uh, in the worksheet that I put together. I think I took it right out of there. Mm. The creed follows the Ten Commandments in the Catechism because after seeing the way we should live and realizing how badly we fail, the creed tells us what God has done to address the situation. Yeah. So, so Ten Commandments, this is what you should do. This is what God expects this from us. This is what God expects from you. But here's what God has done because, oh, by the way, you, you blew that whole thing yeah. up like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now what we can expect from God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. exactly. And, and Christianity very much is – it distinguishes itself from all other religions in that sense that every other religion in the world says do. Mm. Christianity says done. done. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think we've talked about that before. But yeah. this is another way that that is demonstrated, particularly in the way it's ordered here in this catechism. Uh, this is a summary of all that God has done in creation and human history. We talked about that. This is not some guy off in the woods, right? Um, the, the word creed, you know, there are a lot of people that dislike creeds. Yeah. It's uniquely American, I think. It's uniquely uh, – the, the versions of Christianity, the strains of Christianity that came to America and have dominated America the most have really disliked these kinds of creedal statements. There's those wacky pilgrims. <laughs> but that, that's because they were forced – you know, there's a reason why. Right, and I think yeah. there are legitimate reasons why. But, but sometimes you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, very true. And creed is just a word from Latin, credo. I believe. I believe. So this is what I believe. A creed is mm -hmm. what I believe. And, and whether it's this one or whether it's the reworked version you found on somebody's yep. website that basically says the same thing, you still got a creed. Everybody's That's got right. That's some right. kind of creed. Yeah. Uh, they say no creed but the Bible. But what does the Bible say? Yes. I, yeah, I have, a, I have this posted on a bulletin board at, um, at our church. It's some, I don't remember where I found it. Somebody probably emailed it to me, and one of the few times I actually opened one of those things and looked at it. <laughs> um, but it was a uh, – it's, it's a, the creed, um, and at the top it says, where to find the creed in the Bible? And after every clause or every statement in there, there are scripture references that clearly identify – you know, the validity of each of these statements and mm -hmm. how and then show how it's all put together into one statement, you know, which is yeah. a very helpful thing. It's a, you know, Cliff Notes version sure. of the Bible in sure. a sense. You know, if you have to boil it down into, I mean, how, how fast can you say the Apostles create? 45 seconds, maybe? Right? I mean, 
in New York, maybe they say it in 30 seconds, but probably, but nobody can understand them. Makes so. me dizzy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the heck they're saying. I'm like, <laughs> go back there and like, wait, what? Yeah. What? Anyway. Um, well, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I think one of the objections people have sometimes to things like the creed and the way it's used in the church yes. is, you know, we put it in our um, our liturgies, you know, our, our order of service. I, I think we have five that we rotate through, and I think it's in two of the five that we use in our congregation. And it just becomes another thing mm. that you say that you might have pay attention to while you're saying it, but probably don't really unpack on a regular basis. Um, just real quick, going back to you know how uh, foreign it is to so many people. Um, growing up, uh, my my mother uh, grew up uh, in a tradition that did not use this or emphasize it at all. Uh, my father did. He was uh, grew up Roman Catholic and. When I was a kid, I w- we were going to the Roman Catholic Church, and I was in catechism classes. And we were studying this, the, the creed, and my mother didn't really know anything about it. She'd heard it, you know, in the churches, but she'd never studied it, and she had no objection to it. She was just curious about some of the things that it said, and one statement in particular. So she um, hopped in the car and drove up to the church to ask, hey, Explain this to me. I, I just, I'm not familiar with it. And I, I don't think she spoke with a priest. Um, it was more office staff uh, and some of the educational staff that were there. And no one could answer her questions. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't very long after that we wound up at the Lutheran Church, uh, in fact, because it was just, you know, it turned her off that, you know, we were saying this over and over again, and it was even being taught to me, but. Nobody really seemed to grasp it, yeah. you know, and so I think that's one of the objections that that people bring to this. I uh, I've been at open arms for for years now, mm. and you know what we do is very different. I mean, it may not seem different to other Christians, but yeah. it definitely is different. You're to definitely a weirdo in Lutherans. our circles. Yeah. yeah. I, it's amazing that they still allow us to be called, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but. There, uh, there is something wonderful about worship that isn't so rote. Yeah, and I mean, and if you think about it, what we do is very, you know, there's a pattern. Oh, sure, and it's predictable. Sure, but there's just I, I've I've been to plenty of uh, other services, you know, sort of the way I would have used to do, uh, you know, I mm-hmm. would have done in the past. And I just can't get over how, like, soul-sucking and <laughs> dead it feels. Yeah. And, I, and I, don't, I don't think I ever would have said that before. But, well, I mean, not that I didn't like this. I mean, it was appealing. That's why I'm here. Yeah. But when you just say stuff it, because it's written down on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. it's very different from when you say stuff that comes from the heart. And, and so – as much as this is helpful and important, we also want to have both not just the content and the formality and the, the standard, so to speak, but also the, the deep meaning 
and Can, be, being able to speak about it in a way that is helpful and fruitful, right? right? So, like, one of the things we do with our, our confirmation kids, I have this binder that, you know, has got all kinds of sections and, hey, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. One of the things is a catechism worksheet, I think is what I call it. And I just say, take every single little section and write out the part, the explanation, mm. and then do that three times. But then at the end, now write it in your own words so that, okay, uh, you just did it three times, but what does it actually mean to express you? Express it in How? a way that's connected to you. Yes. Yeah. That's and, good. And I like so. That. You know, I think we got to do both. We need the sure. the unifying thing that hey, we all agree on this, and let's keep some kind of continuity mm-hmm. with two thousand years ago. Sure, but at the same time, we are living two thousand years later. Yeah, <laughs> people change, language changes, culture <laughs> changes. How are we speaking about it in a way that connects with the humans around us today? You know, and it's it's interesting. You talk about your experiences w- with this and this. Uh, you know, how we tend to approach, you know, going about this and, um, you know, how it, it sort of um, hit for you. Um, it's also a matter of familiarity. You know, I, I think about uh, one of my best friends from college. Um, he is he's a uh, pastor in the Baptist church now. And our lives have just kind of done this at the same time. And he, I was talking to him a couple of years ago on the phone, and he and his family went out of town somewhere to visit his sister, I think, and they wanted to go worship somewhere different while they were there. And they found a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, and they went in there. And it was, I don't know if it was his very first exposure to the liturgy, but it was the first time he really paid attention to it. And he fell in love with it, mm. you know, because it had these things that expressed this stuff that he was just not used to hearing altogether, and it, it kind of wowed him. But how quickly that pales, mm-hmm. you know, and, and grows stale, and, and as does anything else. So there's a place for all of this. I'm, yeah. When I say what I say, I'm not saying, like, you can't ever do that. Um, but I do feel like when you, you're spoon-feeding people in a way, right, like yeah. you're, this is it. Here it is. And there is also a part that, you know, you got to take it and sort of make it your own in a sense and put it in your own language so that you can rely on it. Mm. You know, you know um, there's also some people that have been exposed to very flighty kinds of preachers and teachers and churches that chase after all kinds of stuff. And there is definitely something about stability that's good. There's a rock to which we can all cling. But there is also something about freedom, uh, mm. the being free in the spirit of God mm. in, in a sense that uh, – because I think I tend toward that like very detailed thing. And so for me to finally just be like – I can, it's more like a, I can be me. Like I don't – I'm not locked into this thing and if I screw it up, I'm yeah. – you know, it's just very relaxed, and particularly the kinds of people that I think are part of our congregation come not from a Lutheran background, but more of like a Catholic background. And there is something about the the rigidness of the liturgy that wasn't just in the liturgy. Yeah, 
there's a rigidness in the cultures the, that they were a part of. And that's true. That, you know, they just want to be, can I just be me? Yeah. Am, I, am I even allowed to enter into yeah. the presence of God? Can I? And, and so, um, you know, I think that's a tremendously valuable thing. I also think there are a lot of people that do liturgy that just suck at it. Well, and, and, and no, it's just, and, and I think you just do it. you nailed it. it. It's about you know the environment in which you pre- present anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a, a a worship structure that is you know barely any kind of structure at all. You know, but if you are just sitting there and uh, this is being thrown at you, that's not going to make you feel connected. Uh, and likewise, you can have a, a liturgical setting, uh, which it tends to be. I think one of the, if there's a benefit to the liturgy, it's the participation. You know that that is is a little bit more um, active. You know, in, from the congregation. But again, if it's an environment in which it is just you know, this is dumped in your lap and it's like, well, here's your connection to God this week. (laughs) That doesn't work. But at the same time, you can have a liturgical setting that is very engaging. You know, it it depends on the environment in which it's presented and the person, you know, who is facilitating that. One of the things that I've pretty much always done wherever I've done it is, first off, Put a little feeling into it, man. Sure. You know, like I think we as the leaders of worship, right, not the only ones, but as part of that leadership, we can – like if you're reading something from – like we were talking about Philippians before because I'm doing Philippians on Wednesday nights. You know, rejoice. I mean, can we say it like rejoicing? Yes. (laughs) Can we actually say that? Yeah. Uh, you know, here's good news. Can we say it like that? I mean, where's the heart And if you're in it? reading the gospel lesson and it's a story about Jesus interacting with his disciples or with the Pharisees, you know, make it sound like a story. Mm-hmm. You know, tell it to people, you know, yeah. so that they feel engaged in it like they're sitting there reading their favorite book. You know, I, no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think that all goes to, towards creating that environment. You know the the other thing we talked about the pace. Oh, New York isn't the only place that does it fast. By the way, um, there are places all over the place. It's it's the culture of the place, I think, <laughs> and actually here even they were doing the Lord's Prayer really fast. They were doing the Creed pretty fast. I think when I first got here. But I always, everywhere I've been, I slow everybody yeah. down. Why? Because I want you to think about the words. Yeah. Number one. Number two, how are the kids ever going to learn it? They don't know. They just, that's yep. what they hear. Yep. But if you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. How much longer does that take you mm. to do the creed that way? Yeah. 15 seconds? 30 seconds what? to breathe in yeah. between some of these, you know, those commas here. Yeah, yeah. You can breathe. Observe punctuation. We've already got a big enough problem with that in our society. Um, one of the things that I've always liked, uh, the church where I am, when we, my wife and I started going there, um, the pastor, who was a retired pastor from this place, actually, who was serving over there part-time, he wrote four new liturgies. 
And that's what we were using, and it's, we continue to use there. I wrote the fifth um, that we use now, um, and they are not the ones that our, our, our Lutheran friends are used to. Um, they are still liturgies. And in one of them, he breaks the creed down into a responsive event. So I will read a statement, and then... Like, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Yes. Jesus Christ is only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin And Mary. it's broken down. So you're, as a congregation member, you are following along, and you're not just listening, you're participating. And so you're having to read and to consider what's being said and what you are saying. And I always thought that was a great way to just kind of, what you said, slow it down, mm-hmm. break it down, and, and have us start to think about this. Yeah, there, there's been a couple of um, <clears throat> moments for non-traditional mainline liturgical church bodies that have, where the creed has sort of made this resurgence. Uh, I feel like there's a couple of books, popular authors, big mega churches. That a few years something. ago, something came out. Yeah. yeah, and that, yeah. It, so there, there is value here. Sure. And uh, maybe we beat it to death because that's what uh, – I think well Lutherans particularly because <laughs> there's German oh, in the yeah. culture in most Lutheran churches. Yeah. And just this very like uh, stoic kind of approach to everything. But at the same time, you know, it's if you're not going to try to reinvent the wheel, then deconstruct the one you've got mm-hmm. and understand it. Yeah. You know, work with what you're, you've got if it's of value. If you think it is, then by all means, you know, let's let's unpack it. Yeah. Well, I did not exactly anticipate at all that that's what we'd be talking about, but <laughs> I think it's helpful. I think it's important because our – we, we don't really try on this show very hard. <laughs> no, we just know we're uh, experienced enough that – we can roll with whatever the Holy Spirit throws at us here, That's right? That's a much more appropriate <laughs> way of, yeah. And I didn't make us sound arrogant, did I? <laughs> it's your show, man. Whatever. <laughs> hey, by the way, there is some preparation here. I mean, this I, that, isn't that nothing, is, you know? We got, yes. we got stuff here. It's, this, is, this is more than we've done for quite some time, so. It, I think we have, because of our experience and our training, we have the ability to talk about things that, uh, you know, we don't necessarily need to spend all that time. That nobody else spends their time thinking about. <laughs> no, I don't think people do spend nearly as much time thinking about things that we think about. And nope. I, I, actually, it was yesterday. I was sitting in my office like, what am I doing? Like, I feel like I'm not being productive, mm. but it was because I was preparing. Yeah. Like, I'm reading. I'm just sort of thinking. Yeah, you, know, you sit there and I'm just stare like, at the wall for exactly. something you've got to break something down in your head and give it time. And, and and then I was like, well, you know what? People today aren't really thinking. I know because I'm watching them. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking out the window. Like, did you not think about that before you did it? You know, like, 
that's the 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 delayed gratification part of your brain the reptilian part yeah, is taking yeah. over because you're you're not what is it the amygdala or something i don't, I don't know, know. I, you I, don't I had know. To take okay. biology like three times so. <laughs> okay well anyway so yeah people people don't think and we don't train our kids to delay gratification and mm. our society doesn't help us it forces us into sort of instant gratification in a lot of ways with our devices and all that kind of stuff and mm. and so no people don't think and and i think it's good that we think and because we think when we get in here and we start talking, the things that we've spent a lot of time thinking about are able to kind of bear some fruit. Sure, I, I think. And actually, I read something one time about there was a, I think it was maybe Forbes mm. online an article or something like that. Um, maybe something else about a guy who is a, some kind of consultant or in business, and he's charging let's say i think it was like five thousand dollars for this kind of a report right and he'd been doing it so long that somebody asked him to do this report and he did it in less than 24 hours which would have normally taken like several weeks or something prior to that but because he knew this person he knew this company he had done this report a million times he he the turnaround was very very short like mm-hmm. hours right and the guy who he did it for came in and put the $5,000 check on his desk. And he was thinking initially, like, but that took me no time. Yeah. And I was kind of doing it as a favor for you. And he said, no, you you have spent years getting to the place where you can do this in an hour and a half. And I'm paying you for that. What you've done is still of the same value. It's still the same value. And yeah. he and he this articles written by somebody who's saying that this is was a lesson for him Mm. that he is still worth the same amount in fact he may be even worth more because he can do it in an hour and a half we can do it in a matter of seconds interacting with each other so we're even better so where's our five thousand (laughs) dollar (laughs) check boy you took us all the way around the pond to get back there i didn't even start out thinking that's where i was going that was that was good but But, uh no it's true you know and and, and it's funny, it's, you know, we're, we're talking about something like the creed or, or certainly anything that you and I have studied um, and how we have to train ourselves to not approach it mi- mindlessly. I remember um, a seminary professor uh, from my New Testament class um, at the very beginning, he, he, our first assignment was, he said, um, and this was an intensive, and he said, go back to wherever you're staying and your homework for tonight is to read the book of Ephesians four times mm. and you know and and his point was obvious you know right up from the front you know you read through something and you're like okay i know this passage you know or, or these verses and then so you just kind of breeze through it and don't really give it the attention you if you read it first chapter to the what is it sixth i think um <laughs> Excuse me. Your homework assignment for tonight is to go back and read Ephesians four times. <laughs> I, see, I remembered how many chapters, right? What but, is it, six? Uh. But, you know, but after the, like, the second or third one, I remember really getting it and, and saying, wow, this is – I'm hearing this hmm. for the first time in a way, you know, and, and that, that should inform how we approach whatever we do and, and whatever it is that we believe is worth our time. Yeah. 
Well, that's, uh, I think maybe we should give out an assignment. Anyone listening, you know, read the Apostles' Creed four times. Yeah, absolutely. Read it four times uh, separately, slowly, uh, deliberately. Don't try to memorize it. Just you may already have it memorized. You might. Even, and don't. Let it. I, I think that's one of the things when you're in church, if you're using this to read it while you're sort of saying it and saying it with everybody else, having it on paper in front of you helps you to be able to think about it instead of think to say it the same you know you know like you're not absolutely thinking to try and pull it out of the recesses of your mind like sometimes i'm doing that if it's not written down somewhere and i'm like i know i should know this but when you say it in a group of people like all of a sudden it's well oh my goodness i'm gonna skip something oh i'm gonna look like an idiot i'm the pastor i'm supposed to know this and ah! right you have all that stuff going on in your head you're not thinking about no. what you're saying no i I will I will very much confess to having had that exact experience um, in our circuit meetings. <laughs> well, this is when our, our, our local pastors get together and we'll have a little time of worship and discussion. And it's very much a time of support for one another. Uh, but in our devotion, every once in a while, somebody will throw in the creed and, uh, you know, we get there. And I'm like, OK, and uh, <laughs> now <laughs> I'm going back and I'm. I'm surreptitiously reading it you know but i'm surrounded by pastors so i'm also kind of half looking to see if anybody else is reading it and most of them are yeah you yeah, know yeah. so um it's it's there for us and so let's let it speak to us mm-hmm. yeah um shifting gears here a little bit and you know we're talking about sort of thinking about it but also how we use it and the big picture that I don't know comes out in each of the sections, mm. uh, the big picture is that God is very mysterious, right? And actually there are a lot of people, non uh, people who are not of faith mm. <laughs> that make fun of us for saying, oh, God moves in mysterious ways. And they're right because <laughs> – we overuse that. Christians yes, overuse that. I don't think pastors as much. Well, it started somewhere, so let's let's blame the pastors and priests and whatever. Well, I think sometimes people use it to try to explain away things for which there is an explanation. Yes, yes. You know? They just don't want to have to think that hard. Or admit it, yes. But well, one of the things that doesn't necessarily come out but is smacking you in the face— is this idea of the Trinity. Mm, yes. And earlier we were talking, you, you know, you mentioned, hey, each of these things, the creed in the Bible, where is it? And all those Bible passages and all that kind of stuff. Well, in a sense, that is true, but there's also a sense in which it's not true and that we're we're pulling together from those verses to try to come up with a way to say things that there isn't really anything to give to voice say. to it. Yeah. And the big picture is that God, right, each – there's three sec, – excuse me, three sections. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, and then a whole big uh, yeah, yeah. bunch of stuff about what happened to Jesus, what he did. And then I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
he is uh, Trinity. Yeah. Trinity and unity, unity and Trinity, or, yeah, the Athanasian Creed a few weeks ago, which we did not do. <laughs> I don't know if you did it. I've but never put my people through that. I saw these other churches, they did it, and yeah. it's uh, it's a lot of work to get through that. It is. Um, but the Apostles' Creed tells us the most important truths about God, who he is, what he has done. It's divided into three simple sections to summarize divine the divine work associated with each person of the Trinity. What is the Trinity? Well, it's tri, three, unity, uh, one. It's a made-up word. Yeah. It's not a word in the Bible. No. But it reflects the teaching of truth. the Bible. Yeah. That from the very beginning, this was a struggle for the Christians. In fact, the very fact that a bunch of Jewish guys <laughs> from the first century said, hey, here's a guy, and you're supposed to worship him as God. Yeah. It's the ultimate blasphemy. That's why they were the target of sure. every established Jewish person. It, it required people having some interaction with Jesus to sort of shake them from this, like, well, yeah, I know my Jewishness tells me, like, I should kill this person. I should expel <laughs> them from the synagogue. I should do all these things. Yeah. But I just watched Jesus do something that only God could do. So what do I do now? Yeah. Right? And it's uh, God blowing our minds. It very much is. You know, it's when I've whenever I teach the creed, I always start by addressing the doctrine of the Trinity, you know, and – exactly the way you you've kind of described it but also it's mysterious aspect and how there is you know for for those first you know christians uh or the first people exposed to it there's there there are not a lot of good and uh <laughs> easy explanations you know, and, and I like to point out, you know, people today, Christians today, many will try to say, well, the, the Trinity is like this, and they'll come up with an analogy. And sometimes the analogies are actually pretty helpful, but none of them get all the way there. And if anybody ever tells you they can perfectly explain the Trinity, they're either lying or crazy. Or both, probably. Probably a little of both. Yeah. Or, you know, I think every single one of those examples, I don't know if you had this experience in seminary, but I feel like they showed us all of those examples and said, here's why there were people that were killed for that heresy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't repeat any of this. Um, Which is just another thing, like Christians killing, uh, you know, yeah, like that's, that. That's insane. Yeah, that's the good old but, days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you sorry, know were people, you going somewhere else with that? <laughs> yeah, probably. Who cares at this point? Yeah, uh, yeah no, it, it, they don't. They don't explain it. You can't explain it Mm-mm. because if you could explain God, then how is he even God? Then you wouldn't have a relationship with him. You wouldn't have a relationship with him. But before we even get there, because there's a lot to say about relationship. Sure. But before we even get there, you can't have a God that is transcendent and you know, infinite and all these other things, and then somehow as a finite human being yeah. comprehend all there is to know about God. 
that's the height of human arrogance. It absolutely is. To think that we can or that we should, and if we can't, well, then screw you, God. We don't want anything to do with you because you didn't make it so that we could fully understand it. Yeah. I mean, that is the height of arrogance. It's the height of pride. It is... It is exactly what went wrong in the garden. Yeah, no, you're absolutely <laughs> like, right. If if God would just tell me everything, or or I have the right to know everything, why is He keeping things from me? Or right, like it's, all these different things. It's checking God's phone. <laughs> no, this is. I, I landed on this a long time ago. It, checking it, no, God's it's it's phone. my explanation of what happened in the garden. You know, I all of us you know, live and breathe and die by these things now, you know, our, our smartphones and our whole lives are, are in many ways are held mm-hmm. within these things. And it has become sort of a touchstone uh, marker in relationships. Trust. So if I, if, if my wife goes to the store and leaves her, her phone at home and I'm going to see I if her boyfriend's find, texting her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I find I find myself tempted to go over there and get into it and start looking at her messages and things like that, see what she's been up to. What does that say about the state of our relationship? Mm. You know, and what happened in the garden uh, was the desire to check God's phone because there wasn't d- enough of that trust there. He wasn't. Uh, he was keeping something from us. That's exactly right, you know, and something I, as you said, I have a right to uh, to to be able to understand and to know and to be in control of, mm. and that's what it all comes down to, you know. So, well, what do we need to know about God in order to have that helpful relationship with Him? Well, the Creed, you know, the Bible, yeah. It explains it, you know, and the creed is interested in our relationship with Lord. You know, when we get eventually probably eight months from now to the uh, second article um, (laughs) that deals with, you know, the person of Jesus, um, there are two, you know, as much as the creed sets out to describe the the nature and and work of God, there are two non-divine people named in the creed. And they have a place there to illustrate something, you know, so we can we can kind of unpack that eventually when we get there. But. Yeah, well, let's not go there because you might actually cause a stir. Uh-huh. Non-divine people? Are you sure about yeah. that? Well, yes, I am sure. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Move on. I thought... Uh, Certainly with one. Yes. So this is a mystery, this, yeah. this divine... Dance, so to speak. I, I think there's a book. I don't remember the full title, but I think it's about like the divine dance, or like the it's about the Trinity essentially. Mm-hmm. That there's these three persons, individuals, separate, distinct persons who yet somehow make up one God. It's not different forms of one God. It's you know, it's it's uh, not the yolk and the white and the shell. Mm-hmm. Because it's still, you're not an egg without all three. That's right. Right? And the apple, you're not the skin and the the meat and the seeds without all three. Yeah. Right? Uh, it's uh, not a shamrock. Right? It's not It's not that. The three candles. Three candles. They're three different lights or three, you know, one great light, three sources. You know. Again. Yeah. We can't do that. It's a, it's a mystery. It all falls short. We're not going to understand it. All we can do is really 
just say what God says. And that's actually to confess is to agree with God. It's to say what he's saying, to same say God, to to say that, uh, hey, here's what God says about himself. I agree with that regardless of whether I can make heads or tails of it. Yep. Um, they're distinguished to us based on how they work mm. in the world, right? So that's kind of how this is laid out. And God our made, interaction with them. And yeah. our interaction with them, yeah. Uh, one of the things, well, there's actually there's two big things that I have appreciated about the Trinity, especially the last few years. Number one is that we are seeing that at the heart of everything is love and relationships. Mm. That if if God's essence was his power, well, then we would need power, right? Like we would – that would be what we would have to have or we couldn't really have a relationship with God because he's power and we're – I mean, we're just – Nothing. We're, yeah. we're grass that just burns up, right? That's biblical. But if it's love and relationships, uh, when we die, our power goes away. But but if when we die, love and relationships continue and move on forever and ever and ever and ever. That, I mean, that gives us more meaning and purpose in life. Yeah. And it makes us, I think, feel better about the love and relationships that we have now. Sure. It gives us hope. And uh, it gives us a, just a focus that I think we just have all get so wrapped up so easily into all these other things that don't matter. But the Bible again and again and again says that love is what matters. And obviously love in a very specific way. Like it's not a feeling. It's not this. It's not that. I mean love. What is love? First uh, Corinthians 13 kind of very specific this is what love is. God is love. Well, what has God done? Let's take a look at what we're looking at here in the creed. So love, but love and relationships transcends everything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's and, and it should change how we think about every aspect of, of how we interact with the Lord. You know, it's why it's why we think of something like a prayer as a an engaging conversation instead of a spell. Mm-hmm. That we cast, you know, it's and and I like how you you distinguished it from power, you know, like Cupid and yeah, the, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. That's not original to me, but uh, love is the thing that lasts forever. It's not all this other stuff. Actually, First Corinthians three, you know, Paul is kind of talking about different people. He Paul planted, Apollos watered, God mm. gave the growth, and then he goes into this idea of judgment, like what we we have a foundation, and then what we build on that foundation is going to be tested by fire, which, you know, in some ways is a very scary thing. I think he is trying to be somewhat serious with people that, you know, building on this this solid foundation is it's rock solid it's not going anywhere it's christ christ is the only foundation you can build on but then what do you build on that foundation and there's wood hay and stubble there's all these things that when the fire comes it burns up Yeah. yeah but then some of it is precious jewels and precious metals and and those things get better yeah with the fire and and i think that's 
what love and relationships are. That's people. I had a uh, friend of mine up in Ohio. We used to meet once a month. He was very charismatic. And he used to talk about this dream, this vision that he had about God and that particular Bible passage and how one day, you know, in this this vision, you know, one day he's before the Lord and all this other stuff is gone and the Lord is putting out these like precious gems like rubies and emeralds and mm-hmm. diamonds and and then I, I don't know if it was like he flipped it over or if it was right there, what, what it was exactly. But on these stones, these precious stones, was the names of people in his life. And those were the things, the jewels, the, the rewards, the, the fruit of faith and faithfulness in this life in eternity, in the presence of God. That's what it was. And so he was uh, very committed to people, relationships, mm-hmm. and loving people. And and I think that's a lesson for us that God in himself loves. God loves the Son. The Son loves the, the Father. The Spirit loves the, like, you know, it's just they they are 100% committed to loving and serving the other. Yeah. Yeah, it's you. You want to know the nation, the, the nature of our God. Uh, think of it as um, as a as a fully incorporated kind of love, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 functional love, love that is expressed. And what I think ultimately, when we think about loving other people, we often worry. Well, if I'm loving them. Who's loving me? Yeah. Right? Now, it's because we live in this crazy, I thought of a lot worse things to say, but I'm trying to <laughs> remember. Clean it up. I'm live. Yeah. <laughs> we live in this awful, broken world. Yeah. And, yeah, there are people that don't, you know, you can absolutely invest in someone totally. And if you're not careful, there's no one else kind of backing you up. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately in eternity, in the beautiful, perfect world that God had envisioned in the beginning and has planned for the future, you can fully give of yourself in a way that you can't maybe do it now because that's the way the the entire new creation is going to work. Well, and, he, and we get a taste of that, you know, with how God deals with us now, mm-hmm. you know, because you and I – uh, you know, God has invested everything in us, and how often do we throw it back in his face mm-hmm. and and not have anything to offer in response? And yet, that investment is worth it, you know, because it comes from a love so complete and so full. Well, and what God asks us to do because of his immense investment in us— mm is to pay it forward, right? Sure. So he, Jesus, through, you know, like the Sermon on the Mount, right? Mm. If you got two cloaks, give them, give one away. If somebody says one mile, you go two. Yeah. If, um, you know, your enemy strikes one cheek, you give him the other one. If, uh, you know, anybody who asks to you, give to them, forgive, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, uh, 
Treat people like they're worth it. Yeah, all those things he says because what he eventually then says on the cross is, I got your back. Yeah. Like, there is nothing I won't do for you. So even though the world sort of sucks Mm. and people are awful and you invest in these people, I'm not saying that. You know, you do this for them, they're going to do it for you. In fact, he actually goes very specifically into that. Says if you only do it for people that are going to do it back for you, are you really doing it then out of love? you're taking the gift I've given you and burying it instead of investing it. Yep, and and you're you're only doing it for the purpose of getting. Mm. You're not doing it out of love, which is the only thing that matters, right? But he says, I got your back. Mm. You can lay your life down even to the point of death, because I got your back. And oh, by the way, I'm the guy who died and rose. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't yet in that in the narrative of the Gospels, but he have, that's what he, we have now, right? We know, oh, so he laid his life down for us, and God had his back and raised him from the dead. <laughs> He's going to have our back and raise us from the dead. He's going to do for us. So so this, this love aspect, I, I think the... The motivation behind what we do matters more than we may think, mm. although it's better for us to do it whether we're motivated by love or no, not. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but we don't get the same benefit out of doing it if it's not done out of love. Is it, if it doesn't make me feel better, is it worth doing? <laughs> That's very uh, – Human of you, selfish I, human of you. Well, right? I, no, it's a lesson I learned in a very weird way. I was uh, in a drive-through getting breakfast at McDonald's one morning, and it's one of these double drive-through lanes. Mm-hmm. Which, if I ever get my hands around the throat of the guy who invented that, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a very bad day for him. It's the worst idea I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> for this reason, because I was in one of these lanes and. I placed my order, and then I pulled forward, and this car was sitting here in the other lane, and he was placing his order. And then when it was time to move forward, he tried to go, and it wasn't his turn. And so I went, and then we started doing the thing where, you know, nobody – you can't hear each other, but you're yelling at each other in the car. Yeah, it's driving in New York every day. Okay, yeah, fair. Um, (laughs) and, And we're both very angry about it. And I won. I got in front of him. And... I, and then as I sat there waiting to pay, I, I calmed down and was like, man, that was stupid. You know, I just I, it's it's so stupid to, you know, get like that in, in your vehicle. Um, so I decided, OK, let me just make some token gesture here. And I paid for the guy's food. He was right behind me. I said, let me just go ahead and take care of that. And then I pulled forward and I got my food and I drove away and I didn't feel better. Yeah, <laughs> I was still mad. And I, I think about that all the time because it just. So you were actually more worried that he was going to uh, take you out, follow you, and put a bullet in your head, and you were trying to make sure that. No, no, no okay. I could have probably taken him, but um, <laughs> no, it was it was just I, I wanted to make myself feel better about myself because yeah. of what I did, and it didn't work. And so I, I often ask myself the question: Was it worth? Do, making some small gesture of kindness and reconciliation, and I don't know if the guy felt better about it or not. You know, he might have mm-hmm. been mad that I did that. I don't know. But, you know, it, it's one of these complicated things that, that illustrate how 
fractured our capacity for love is, you know, that it is so dependent on how it makes us feel about ourselves and and so many other things. But this, you know... The things that Jesus calls us to do will not always make us feel better. No, no, they're they're not going to make... But that's why only Jesus can ask us to do it. That's exactly right. And why... And the only reason he can get us to do it. Yeah, because of what we know about him and what he's done for us. And, And that's why... We come back to this and we study this and we we look at, you know, how it unpacks this this story or, or you know, um, or, or condenses it down even. Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting way of trying to get us back to this. I feel like we're a little bit off now, but uh, I, it really does—Christians are, I think, best equipped to help society at large. Man, we should be. Because— we don't need to do it to get in good with anybody. Yeah. Because if you try to help people to feel better about yourself or to prove to the world that you're good or whatever, you become a real jerk. Yeah, and you create this vicious cycle. Because people pattern. suck. Yeah. We've we've got homeless people that are just stubborn and some of them most of them have some kind of mental illness. I mean, there's a guy that's been here I can't even tell you how long he keeps kind of coming back mm-hmm. like a bad penny sort of thing. And he's talking to himself. He's yelling at himself, uh, which yeah. is beginning to be very strange. But Christians who are not doing it to feel better about themselves, but doing it to be faithful to the one who loves them and makes them feel good by that by themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like just by himself because of what he's already done. And calling us to this kind of faithfulness, that's the only way to get back up on the horse. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, knock some of these people in their heads like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I mean, one guy, we actually found him a place to live, and he just bailed. Oh, I had to leave that prison. You know, too many rules. Yeah, Yeah, you're just stubborn, and and that's the way people are, and they always will be, and you can't actually help them in a sense. Even bring it inside the doors, you know, of our places. You know, how how do we continue to exist as congregations? You know, I mean, have you ever met Christians? <laughs> yes. Most of them are awful. You know? It's, well, it's because the most awful people are the ones who know how desperately they need grace. May, well, maybe that's what sense. it is, yeah. But, you know, we we sit and we share a pew or a row of chairs, you know, with people that we otherwise have no reason to come together with. Well, you know? and, uh, unfortunately, we don't. I, I think that's actually a problem. And, and yeah. But. Yeah, you can't really be a community if you only get together once a week for an oh, hour. That's true. Yeah, you know. better be a good hour. That's <laughs> well, up to you, brother. Make <laughs> yeah. it a good one. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, love and relationships is crucial. But the second thing that I find really helpful about this, and it gets back to something we were talking about earlier, this idea of the mystery mm-hmm. and... Um, it's this idea that if two seemingly mutually exclusive ideas like this can both be true at the same time, perhaps we should be kinder as we discuss opinions with those with whom we disagree. So the this was uh, – I actually did this. There was a district devotion. 
I think I was the only guy who did it in a polo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a black polo, though, it did, wasn't it? No. No, okay. No. no. Man. Uh, it was also relatively recently, not really recently, but relatively uh, soon after George Floyd, the whole mm. thing back in 2020 mm-hmm. with uh, the killing, the murder. I don't know what the right way to – George Floyd was killed by police officers. And, you know, everybody's shouting at one another. And I've got so many friends in law enforcement, but then I've also got all these people that I know that aren't necessarily Christians and uh, they tend to be very liberal. I'm from New York, so, you know, a lot of liberal people, politically speaking, in New York and Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter and – you know uh, the, the organization versus the statement, and right, the, right. the it was it was completely disorienting, and I actually tried to dig in and learn a lot during that time, and I think I did, and I think it's been very helpful. But at the same time, I got to a point where I was like, "Wait a sec, you are as crazy as some people are saying," and so I found myself like bouncing back and forth between these two extremes, you know, trying to figure out what do I as a follower of Jesus do because I don't really care about uh, the left or the right when it comes to politics. I care about Jesus. And then the Trinity. It was like Mm. Trinity Sunday, right? So I think it was May 25th is the day George Floyd was killed. And it was like June 7th was Trinity Sunday. Everybody's right. The left is right. The right is right. That's sorry. They're also both wrong. Yeah. And how do we as Christians help in a polarized world? I think it's the Trinity. It's doing our best to find the truth in all of these different places and work toward that regardless of whether it makes us look crazy right so like if you're a very right-leaning community you know it's real easy to get in good there sure and to do the things that are they're passionate about but then there are things that i think are godly things christian things that are also very passionate the people are very passionate about on the left absolutely how do we do both of those things? You do one of them, uh, they go, oh, yeah, thank you for caring about the environment, right? which I do believe is sure. the first commandment. Uh, amen. God said, take care of this place. I don't necessarily buy into everything that's said to motivate people to do that. Um, but why aren't we doing something? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but then you do that and you're immediately like, oh man, look at this tree hugger. Like he is yeah. just, he's bought into the religion of environmentalism. Sure. I mean, it, and yeah. then the same thing about like life and sexuality and you get guns, guns. Yeah. yeah. I, there's so many different hot button issues. And I, I think that if at the center of the universe is a divine being who mm-hmm. is three persons and one God, I think we got to come at these things with a lot more humility. If we're a community of people that stand together and proclaim to the world that one plus one plus one equals one, (laughs) then, you know, maybe maybe we can see around 
some other things. So you have this. Uh, I've shared something like this with you before, I think. Oh, yeah. And I, I just tried to empty. The tin can principle. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you want to use that to me. Or, sure. or you can use one of the K-cups, too. You need a shelf full of cans. Or the, the, the wooden stumps. Oh, it's, that's that's cylindrical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll we'll use this and, and pretend. You know, if uh, you know, th- this is something that I, I I saw an illustration. I think I sent to you. You know, um, that's it's a little more clinical. You know, but imagine if you, if you will that this is a tin can. This this cup in my hand, and I hold it up to you a certain way, and. And, and, of course, the shape would be a little bit different. If it would it be more, a, yeah, yeah, like a perfect cylinder, you know. And if I hold it up to you a certain way and ask you what shape you see, well, from a certain angle, you're going to see a rectangle, right? You get two parallel, uh, sh- you know, long side, short side, parallel lines. And it is it's in, indisputable that you're seeing a, uh, a, a rectangle here. It's, it's demonstrated only – only an idiot would tell you this is not a rectangle. So don't trust anybody who says anything other than rectangle. And then, of course, you know, I turn it a different way, and it's a circle, and it's a perfect circle. It's, it's um, you know, there's no arguing about this being anything other than a circle. And, and so it is. And it is. It is and yeah. So what I've just shown you are two things that are demonstrably true. They are absolutely true. They are objectively true, and yet neither one of them is the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this is this is what we're combating in the world. You know, we we're, we're surrounded by rectangle people and circle people, and they're yelling about the other, mm. and they're, they're both convinced of the absolute of what they say because it can be demonstrated as a truth. And yet, in neither case are we um, are we dealing with something that is a complete truth. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's where we come in. You know, with with what we believe, and you know, to say that one plus one plus one equals one is to tilt something in a new dimension. Yeah. Well, we can get in the whole discussion about dimensions. Uh, yeah, yeah. How much time you got? Uh, but I. Uh, the irony, I think, of course, is that the most passionate Christians today tend to be people that are insisting on circle or rectangle. Yeah. Or, you know, that there is a – we are actually part of a denomination <laughs> that is probably one of the worst at this, uh, yeah. uh, this insistence on 100 percent doctrinal purity. Yeah. About things that we just simply cannot articulate or understand or explain. Now, I will say that Lutherans tend to be much better about just letting the Bible say what it says and saying That's two our things. Goal. You know, so like when we talk about communion, right? What what is it? It's the body and blood of Jesus. Okay, why? Well, because it sort of says Jesus that here, says and it. Jesus said it. Yeah, uh, and the whole argument about. You know, metaphorical, figurative language just doesn't actually make sense if you know anything about metaphors. Yeah. Uh, and and the other places where there are 
things like that. Sure. You know, I'm the vine, I am the door, all those other things actually undermine their argument in a sense. But then it's also bread and wine, which yeah. is something that, you know, doesn't jive with Catholic theology. Yeah. And we say it's both. Why? I don't know. It just is. It just it is. Just, I don't get it. What's wrong with you, yeah. you know? And well, that, that's the, the root, you know, of the word sacrament. Sacred mystery. Yeah, it, that's it's what, yeah, mystery. it's a mystery, you know. So, so it, I just think we got to be careful as Christians to be certain about the only things that we can be certain about is to, at the same time, not be certain about an awful lot of other things and then trust God to guide us in navigating those difficult uh, circumstances. Yeah. You know, it's just, oh, uh, man, there's so much to the Trinity and... I think we uh, – I actually kind of feel a little bad. I didn't even talk about it this year because we're weird, so we don't really, you know. I Yeah, I, I, I don't always, you know. Um, uh, you know, it's – well, and you have a – to say you have a day designated just, you know, for this one subject um, is a little confining, you know. Well, but that's why we don't confine ourselves to that. I could spend six weeks on the Trinity if I wanted to. Oh, and he sounds so smug about it. Too. Yes, yes. I'm just, right. you know, you got to enjoy the the things that you have. If you don't look at them and go, yeah, that's a great reason to be where I am, you know? Like, that doesn't mean that you should necessarily feel bad about it, but... <laughs> I should uh, How gracious of you. <laughs> Wrap this up. I got to go. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just, yeah, teasing you a little bit. No, that's... Uh, so a whole lot more we could say. Oh, yeah. We won't. Uh, we're not necessarily making up for lost time, so we don't have to stay here for six <laughs> hours. But if you got questions about the Trinity, if you got questions about the Creed, uh, let us know. Send us uh, messages somewhere on, on Facebook, YouTube, uh, email. You can email me, amel at openarmsslidell.org. I don't know if you got email you want to share or... Sure, sure. It's uh, I'll spell it for you, unless you're a big fan of German opera. Um, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a thing I was into in college <laughs> when I set this email address up. So I'll just, uh, if you're familiar with the works of Wagner and uh, the, in particular Lohengrin, uh, it's L O H E N G R I N four zero zero one at Yahoo. That's what that's for. Yes. Man, who took care of your education? We're going to have to talk about that afterward. I actually have a question for you about opera. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Tune in next week for our opera <laughs> for discussion. For opera conversation. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what will come of that. That's right. But uh, God is good. God is uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He loves you. He uh, has the commandments, yes. But uh, knowing how bad we are at keeping up with the expectations and the uh, the order that God built into the universe, God doesn't just say do, he says done, mm. and that's the creed for you. So Amen. take a look at it, read it a few times yourself, um, and uh, catch up with us next time when we jump into some of the, the details, particularly about that first article, the first part there about God the Father Almighty. God bless you. God, good to be with you, and uh, we'll catch up with you later. See ya.